0: Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at
1: Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. It's our special 100th episode call-in show. That's right, it's a call-in show. You're about to hear from a good number of folks in cybersecurity. I really hope you enjoy it. Let's dive straight in. Howdy, who's this?
2: Hey, this is Brent Dieterding. I'm the CISO for Acne, and I spent 19 years on the vendor side.
1: Well, thank you, Brent, for calling in. I got a question for you. What can practitioners do to show more love to vendors? <laughs>
2: I, that's a good question we, we tend to focus a lot on the vendor side and, and what they can do and their behavior and all of that but uh, I'm going to I'm going to suggest something that after you've taken that meeting with the vendor after you've decided that you want to engage with this vendor as a so-so that from a just a human interaction perspective uh, you need to reciprocate the energy and the effort that they're putting into it As just a normal human interaction thing. And that looks like going on camera and being engaged, taking notes, um, knowing what the heck this medpick thing is, and really kind of giving them some of the information that they need to make their lives easier, as well as just the normal human interaction stuff of chit chat, small talk, carrying sharing a little bit about yourself, caring a little bit about their life. Um, from the vendor side, I can tell you that that is not common. And yeah. on the sister side, I can tell you that it is very, very appreciated.
1: Yep. I like that. Just just being human, reaching out, paying attention, doing your homework, uh, and basically treating the person on the other end of the, of the interaction as a, as a human being.
2: That's exactly correct.
1: Well, Brent, that's a fantastic answer. I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the call in, and uh, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you, Alan.
1: All right, we're ready for our next caller. Howdy, who's this?
3: Hi, it's Evgeny. Evgeny,
1: what do you do in cybersecurity?
3: So I am a consulting person in cybersecurity, and I specialize in MSSP in vendors. I had the opportunity to work with one of the biggest MSSP's for 15 years, and right now I'm basically running a boutique consulting a business to help MSSPs to do better.
1: Oh, that's fantastic, man. That's a, that's a vital role in our industry for sure. So I've got a question for you, Evgeny. How important are soft skills in cybersecurity?
3: I think they're very, very important. We're no longer only interacting with these machines. A lot of our communication is done human to human, and especially right now when we not always have the opportunity to see each other face-to-face because of the pandemic and many of the meetings to move to Zoom and Teams, we need to have the soft skills, the communications, the building of rapport with people to understand we kind of build the base that is getting Alan actually like each other before we move to the setting part.
1: I like it. I like it a lot. I think that's a, a fantastic answer. Anything else you want to add or comment for our listeners?
3: Yes, I think one of your questions is what are we doing wrong? So I want to kind of quickly touch base on this as well.
1: Absolutely. What are we doing wrong in cybersecurity?
3: So I think it's one part. We're trying to kind of paint everything in one color. Like this is how it's supposed to be. We need to do this. We need to do that. And many of us are saying that there are so many different jobs in cybersecurity. There are so many different flavors in cybersecurity. So we should stop painting everything in one way. And this is the only way to do it. We need best to break. This is the best practice. This is how you do stuff. There's multiple ways to achieve this, and we need to kind of simplify this part. And the other part, if we're all screaming that it's very hard to hire people and we're making so many talents, why every time I speak with a friend, we mm. need to have seven interviews to get a job?
1: I like it a lot. Well, Evgeny, thank you so much for calling in, and we're going to take our next caller now. Okay. Howdy, and thanks for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who's this?
4: Hey,
5: Alan, this is Andy Ellis,
1: long-time first-time. Hey, Andy, welcome back to the show. So why don't you tell our listeners briefly, what do you do in cybersecurity? So
5: right now I'm a venture capitalist, operating partner at YL Ventures. I also do an advisory CISO role with Orca Security, but I'm a Hall of Fame CISO with uh, 21 years at Akamai before that.
1: Wow. Impressive credentials. For those who don't know Andy, impressive guy. So question for you, Andy, what are we doing right in cybersecurity and what are we doing wrong? Well, I think the, the thing that we're,
5: we're, we're doing right is we're really starting to focus on reducing privilege. But what we're doing wrong is we're not focused on reducing admin privilege. I still see way too many models of security that are create administrative rights everywhere to get stuff done. Think about EDR as an example. We worry about lateral movement in our enterprises, but then we go ahead and install agents on every laptop and desktop that have remote permissions to them. We need to get past this model, except that the laptop is not part of the enterprise environment, but it is instead part of the user environment. And once we recognize that, I think we can take a big step forward if we can get tools that will let us ensure the security of those devices without opening up new security weaknesses.
1: That's a really good point. That's, uh, you know, it's funny. I, th- I think we uh, we tend to, give ourselves more privilege than perhaps we, we have due to us as cyber practitioners. And I think systems, systems administrators, network administrators all over the world do that too. I know sys yep. admins who still log in directly as root because they can't be bothered with sudo, you know?
5: Right. No, absolutely. Right. How many, how many people, and look, I'll admit I'm guilty of this in my own AWS environment, but I've got like four images. Like I log in as the admin to do everything.
1: Exactly. Exactly. All right, well, Andy, thanks so much for calling into the show. Thanks for a great answer to those questions, and uh, we'll take our next caller now. Awesome. Howdy, thanks for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who's this?
6: Hey, this is Nipun Gupta.
1: Nipun, where are you calling from?
6: I'm calling from London, United Kingdom.
1: All right, London. So, Nipun, I've got a question for you. I want to know what needs to happen to get cybersecurity practitioner leaders to trust cybersecurity vendors?
6: Oh, that's a great question. And Alan, now I am on the vendor side. I am a product manager at a company called Debo, who builds cybersecurity analytics platforms. And prior to this, I have always been in different shoes where I was either influencing the buying decision or making the buying decision myself. So I know what this question is all about.
7: (laughs) Why um, not?
6: Right I think, yeah. So, uh, in my opinion, I think cybersecurity security vendors have been so marketing-led uh, that it's the lines where track and product capabilities end and where fiction and uh, you know forward-looking statements start gets very blurry. Right, and this is mm-hmm. what uh, you know adds to uh, the confusion and you know, distrust and mistrust and in the minds of seasoned security practitioners and leaders who are in the buying side. Um, so whenever there is actually a conversation between a representative of the vendor and a security leader, I think the facts should be the ones that you know, should be focused and should be discussed rather than, uh, you know, still marketing, still pitching uh, forward-looking statements, which you can do. Definitely on the website, you can do it at a conference uh, banner, right? But but not in a conversation. And I think that's what will take for the trust to get built. And yep. obviously, you know, uh, making less confusing marketing statements will go yes. a long, long way.
1: Yep. And, and I'll tell you right now, honestly, as a practitioner, when I'm in sales calls, um, one of the things I absolutely love, something that will endear me to that representative is when they tell me honestly what they're not good at, right? Like nobody's good at everything. And the sales guy that comes in and pretends, you know, oh yeah, we do this, 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 and this. I, I love to hear, oh, that's not really our strong suit. That's not our focus. We're more over here focusing on this piece. Now that's a, that's a piece we've talked about and we might down the road, you know, da, 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 but right now, no, that's not our strongest area. That kind of honesty is so refreshing.
6: I totally agree. I think, most companies uh, are in the business of cybersecurity, and they want to say they can do everything. And yes. that's, again, one of those forward-looking, mistrusting statements that you never want to give to a season later, because so they will smell that, they will, you know, alert their radars, and you're going into a false positive view.
1: Right, right. All right. Well, listen, Nip, and I appreciate you calling all the way from London. Uh, thank you for being on the show.
6: Thank
8: you
1: for having me. All right. We're going to take our next caller now. Howdy. Who's calling in?
8: Yeah, this is Brent Forrest. I'm the field CISO for Flare Data Systems out of Plano, Texas.
1: Plano, Texas, right down the street from me. Well, Brent, thank you so much for calling in. Got a question for you. Yes, sir. What is the value of mentorship in cybersecurity?
8: That is a great question. Um, I remember whenever I was coming up into the world of cybersecurity, I had to figure it out on my own with on-the-job training, continuously reaching out to peers and just reading my own material, doing a lot of it on my own. And uh, I noticed that with us asking a lot of people to start moving into cybersecurity. There's a need to really show them the ropes versus letting them dangle and, you know, figure it out on their own. We have the experience. We have the knowledge. Why not share it with them?
1: Amen. I, uh, I also grew up flying solo for the good first third or even two-thirds of my career. And once I got some mentors, I, I felt like things accelerated so much more. Uh, that's fantastic. So I'm glad to hear that you're giving back. Um, what what program do you work with to give back?
8: I use uh, Thankful. Um, They are a curriculum based organization that works with large organizations to put uh, current employees through training or uh, whether it's app dev, cybersecurity, and project management. And I help out on the cybersecurity curriculum to help students as they're going through their curriculum to kind of give them the heads up of what they can see in a day-to-day life of cybersecurity, as well as, um, what, where are they struggling with the material?
1: That's fantastic, Brent. I'm glad to hear you're doing that. I'll go look that program up myself and, um, yeah, might be somebody we want to give a good shout out to on the show at some point, maybe even have one of their folks come on the show. Cause I always love to have folks that are giving to the community, you know, deserve some airtime as far as I'm concerned.
8: with you there. And I also love listening to the show every week, so keep it up. It's been great.
1: I sure appreciate that. Well, Brent, thanks so much for calling in. Uh, We're going to take our next call now.
8: Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Bye.
1: Howdy. Who's calling?
9: Hi. My name is Heather Noggle.
1: And what do you do in cybersecurity, Heather?
9: I am a passionate auto, I'm just starting in cyber. I've got a 25-year career in software development, tech, business owner type. So I'm really interested in the people aspect of cybersecurity.
1: Oh, right on. So so speaking of the people aspect, um, one of the, the conundrums that I've seen is that a lot of these smaller entities, and, and I'm speaking to a lot of my VC so friends have these folks as clients, smaller nonprofits, smaller companies, smaller businesses that that don't tackle cybersecurity with the same degree of commitment or fervor, if, if you will, as a lot of the larger organizations do. And I think I think a lot of smaller folks tend to have this sort of um, we're too small, it won't happen to us kind of mindset. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. what tips do you have to tackle that challenge? Like, how do we show these small organizations? No, you need to get involved. And how do you get them involved?
9: Well, one thing is one-on-one conversations is better than talking about sports, for sure. Right. And usually you can't just start talking with people, so how is your cybersecurity? It's usually going to come up in something else to do with the internet. But one of the things I'm personally working on is a series of really short videos for solopreneurs, small businesses, and super small businesses who really aren't even using MSPs, just to get them in the mindset of taking a look at where they need to be looking in the next three to five years because the internet's going to change a lot. And if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it until it bites you.
1: Oh, That's That's at least
9: what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Where where are you going to distribute the videos?
9: Probably YouTube. This is going to be a mid January thing. I've been working on these for a little while during a job transition. And this is a a passion project for me. I've, I've been curious about a lot of things with small businesses. And so I've been asking a bunch of people what their take is on it. So I'm curious what you think.
1: Well, uh, you know, small
9: businesses and that
1: gap. Yeah. And I, I really think it's the same strategy mice deploy. Right. There's so darn many of them that any <laughs> one of them isn't at risk. Right. I, I really think that's the mindset. Yeah. And I think I think the way we clarify that is, you know, um, and I'm thinking specifically of like small doctor's offices and dentists and those kinds of folks. We've seen a massive uptick in attacks on these small, you know, one yeah. doctor, two doctor, three doctors at most clinics because the wealth of material they have available in terms of, you know, HIPAA and social security numbers and credit card data and everything else they might have on file for a patient, it's actually quite a wealth of knowledge, even though it's for a tiny amount of patients. If these guys have no defenses at all per year, you know, statement, like like they don't, you know, some of them are doing mm-hmm. nothing. If I can raid a hundred of those in the span of an afternoon as a as a casual bad guy who's just finding the ones with no defenses at all then I've gathered the same amount of material and and data that one of the big shops would have, except that big shop would have taken me three and a half weeks to get in, not one and a half days, kind of thing. Like it it just it, it ends up being a net positive for the bad guys if the small guys aren't taking care of themselves because a whole bunch of them equals in terms of the data stolen equals a big guy. Right. So so I think that's where the mouse strategy fails.
9: Mm-hmm. And it's so detrimental, too, if they are breached or something happens, they don't have the wherewithal to recover from that is the research I've been doing. And these are my friends, the people I'm meeting in entrepreneur groups, et cetera. So I have a very strong vested interest in getting everybody looking ahead and asking that they use this as part of their risk strategy, risk and growth.
1: Right on. I think your videos are going to be great. Uh, And let me know when those are ready to release. I'll certainly help advertise them on LinkedIn.
9: Awesome. That sounds amazing. It was great talking
1: with you. All right. Thank you.
9: Thank you. Howdy. Thanks for
10: calling the Cyber Ranch. Who's this? This is Carla Russell.
1: Carla, where are you calling from?
10: So I'm in Virginia um, and I work for Orpheus Cyber. We do risk ratings and vulnerability management.
1: That sounds good. What do you do for them?
10: So I am the general manager for the US. So I do a lot of things operational. And then I do a lot of things that help us grow our business in America.
1: That sounds really fun. All right, I got a question for you then for somebody who is established, obviously, as you are in your field. um, You've been here a long time done done your thing. You've earned the, the rank of general manager. Looking back at those You know, first days when you first got into cyber, what piece of advice would you give somebody who's trying to get into cybersecurity today?
10: Biggest thing is network. Network with other people in the industry and don't just make connections on LinkedIn. Like reach out and speak to people, uh, try and build real relationships. But. That's been the biggest difference maker for me in my career. Uh, A little example I give was um, when I applied for, when I was looking for a role last time, I applied for probably 100 roles and got no responses, like I see a lot of people saying they get when they're trying to enter the field. But I had three introductions made by three people I was connected to and got two job offers. So networking is the most important thing you can do.
1: I love that answer. Uh, That's fantastic. And I would also argue that appearing on podcasts is a good move too
10: especially ones like yours
1: (laughs) all right thank you so much for calling in carla i'm going to take the next call now all
10: right
1: thank you howdy thanks for calling the cyber ranch who do i have the honor of speaking to hello hello alan this is will in hey will how are you sir why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about um what you do in cyber
11: yeah definitely so I used to be an investor in cybersecurity startups at Ford Point Capital, one of the founding team members there. And recently, I uh, jumped to start a company of my own as a CEO.
1: Fantastic. It's uh, Stealth Mode, I understand, at this point still?
11: That is right. Yes. It's a Stealth Mode company.
1: Stealth Mode, cyber startup. How cool is that? Definitely having fun. Cool. That's the important part. I have a question for you, Will. Where do you think this whole cybersecurity thing is headed? Yeah,
11: yeah, definitely. I, lo- I love
1: this question, and
11: so you know, part of it is the reason why I wanted to start a company as well is to have a, to help contribute to where the cybersecurity thing is headed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one quick thing I love this analogy, it's just because I've had the experience of being an investor, being in a, helping acquire companies, uh, helping c- companies go IPO. And so I've seen sort of this evolution of the CFO uh, from going from accountant to strategic uh-huh. and on the board, I've Seen the evolution of legal, uh, the lawyer becoming GC and, and having board exposure.
4: Mm-hmm. And
11: I, and I believe that what we're, we're, we're going to see in, uh, in the near future, in the next couple of decades, will be, we'll be seeing more C-suite uh, c in the C-suite and in the board. And, uh, you know what's the common, commonality between the CFO, the GC, and the CISO? Everyone's managing risk. Everyone's helping the company do uh, take something that's really important to them, and then do it, do it better with business in mind, but with also risk in mind.
1: Okay. Okay. I like that. And it's it's you know it's interesting. I was having a conversation uh, just earlier today. Had a meeting with another CISO, and we were chatting about. The SEC guidance, and we were chatting about GAP for accounting. You know, generally um, mm-hmm. approved accounting mm-hmm. practices, and this this whole idea that in the CISO community we need something like that. Like, like once GAP for CISOs comes along, I think SEC guidance makes more sense. I think CISOs reporting to the board makes more sense. I think there's a lot of um, positive gains that can become, you know, that, that that can happen if we if we get just a little more standardization to our game, right? I love that point. I fully, fully
11: agree. Right. And you know, I think when we think about cybersecurity um, standards, you know, we've, we've, we've had a decent number of them. Um, and <clears throat> these standards are representation of importance. They're representation of, hey, I'm going to regulate you. And so, you know, you know, you have a better idea of my, the expectations that I have. You're, here's a standard to, to look at as well.
1: Yep, and, um,
11: and I think that, yeah, we, we do deserve, the cybersecurity industry deserves a standard um, that helps elevate the C-suite, uh, the C-suite to the C-suite.
1: That's perfect, man. That's perfect. Well, Will Lynn, thanks so much for calling in.
11: Thank you. Always a pleasure.
1: All right. Take care. Howdy. Thanks for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who do
7: I have the pleasure of speaking with? Hey, Alan, it's Jack Powell giving you a call from St. Paul, Minnesota.
1: St. Paul, Minnesota, formerly
7: from Texas. Yes, that's correct. I used to be with Chevron in their cybersecurity department, and then I moved to North Carolina as a deputy CISO for Haynes, and now I am the CISO for Allianz Life Insurance Company here in beautiful Twin Cities, Minnesota.
1: Wonderful. All right. So I have a question for you, Jack. Sure. Hit me. What? is it that we are doing in cybersecurity that we should not be doing in cybersecurity?
7: Oh, well, I can take you two things, mostly because I'm super passionate about inspiring and empowering the next generation of our cybersecurity warriors that are going to defend this nation's economy and infrastructure a hell lot better than we have done it. Um, but we really need to do a better job of our job descriptions. And as we're recruiting people to come into the cybersecurity industry, I can't tell you the number of job descriptions I read that say must have a degree in systems engineering, uh, must have a, a certification, CISSP. And there's so many jobs here in cyber defense, and we're really lacking just people. And I think that such power can come from those that have a diverse educational background, mm-hmm. experience background. Um, And I really think that we in the cyber defense business need to stop throwing up some false barriers and encourage more people to come over and consider this as as their professional choice.
1: Yes. I'm in full agreement. So total disclosure, no college degree at all until like 2000, I think it was like 13 or 14. I went back and finally finished my undergrad in liberal arts and I didn't get my master's in infosec until several years later after I was already a CISO. So Think that through for a moment. I was non-college educated, uh, and and in a hiring position as a director, senior director, even, and refused to put college degree required on any of my JDs. And I had to fight with HR in some cases at some companies.
7: True, fact. One of the uh, one of the gentlemen that I work with is in operational technology, cybersecurity. Works at Duke Energy right now. He doesn't have a college degree, and he is a premier expert in. Um, Industrial control system, cybersecurity for energy systems, worked at NEPRI, you know, EPRI, and uh, just well-respected, No college degree. Right on. So I really just, I I think when I see these job descriptions, like most of the CISO roles that I've seen lately, um, I wouldn't be qualified. Mm -hmm. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, for goodness sake. What has that got to do with, I guess, maybe if I want to do a little psychological operations on my employees or on my company, trying to get them to behave more securely.
1: There you go. Or, or, or get into the mind of your adversary, right? All right. Exactly. And I'm, I'm sorry, so you followed that up with an MBA?
7: I did many years later, yeah. Um, I got an MBA. It ended up being an MBA for nonprofit organizations. Interesting. Um, interestingly enough, when Allianz recruiter contacted me, they said that there were three things they were looking for in the CISO.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: They said they were looking for someone who had been in the consulting business, okay. someone who could kind of like assess new situations, right, consulting business, someone who had the cyber chops. Yeah. which I did, obviously 12 now, 13 years in cyber, and um, someone who had business knowledge. They wanted nice. someone who could talk to the business.
1: Nice. So the old MBA and that's paid something,
7: off. The, I guess the MBA paid off in having my own business as well um, and just working business, right? Yeah. I yeah. think that's really important.
1: All right. Now so, you said you had – I had
7: been in business development too at one point.
1: Right. So. Oh, right on. Okay. Huh? So you said you had two answers to the question. What else are we uh, doing that we shouldn't be doing?
7: So the other thing that we're doing besides not helping recruit is, um, well, a couple of different ways I want to look at this, but I guess I want to talk a little bit about maybe vendors, because I think this is some good advice for some of the vendors that talk to me as the CISO. Um, I get many invitations on LinkedIn on a pretty daily basis, but what I care about is when they come in, don't talk to me about just the product. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that it isn't just the vendors who fall prey to this. I think a lot of um business decision makers, um, a lot of people who turn to the cybersecurity industry and can't you just buy a tool to fix this? Why can't you just implement a tool to fix this? And whenever I think about my program, whether it's my identity and access management program, my have intelligence program, my EDR, whatever, um, I think about it in terms of the people in the process.
4: Mm-hmm. And
7: I really feel like people in process are constantly discounted or just never discussed. And yet those two legs of the three-legged stool, in addition to the product, are, are going to be what make you successful in the program.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would even argue that people are probably first in order for me to prioritize with process right behind that and then, and then uh, technology last, quite honestly. And this is, this is from somebody who grew up on the tech side of the house, right? I was IT. I was engineering. Then I became a CISO. And I still think technology is, is the least critical of our focus and defenses,
7: a Agreed. Um, I'm platform agnostic, truly. Yeah. Um, and that, and I think that's really important. It's really what are the people going to do, right? Um, the yep. other phrase I actually stole this from the former CISO of Chevron when I worked for him. He had a great phrase that I think we should be really trying to figure out how to implement. Which is he would tell us and say, "We need to secure the natural path."
1: There you go. That's that's it. That's it. That's that's a great way to put it. Make security usable or security will be worked around, right? Exactly. Beautiful. Well, Jack, thank you so much for calling into the Cyber Ranch. This was a great conversation, and um, I'm going to take a call from the next caller now. I appreciate your time.
7: All right. Well, happy 100th. I'm super proud to be on the Cyber Ranch.
1: Right on. Thank you. Howdy. Thanks for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who's on the line?
12: Hey, it's Dutch Schwartz. I've heard about the 100th episode show, and uh, somebody said there are going to be door prizes.
1: Door prizes. Uh, Yes. Um, You're going to get a door uh, shipped to your house. Uh, It'll be a very small door, like a door for a dollhouse. But yeah, we can ship you a door. How are you, Alan? I'm doing good. Thanks for calling in, brother. I got a question for you. Well, actually, before we dive into that, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are in cyber, like what you do in cyber. I always like folks to to, to know who uh, who they're hearing from.
12: Yeah, absolutely. So I work as a cloud security strategist. I have a really long title, but that's really, in essence, what I do. And so what that means on a day-to-day basis is I, I work with CISOs uh, and architects, but mostly CISOs, as they're making their cloud journey. And it's what I do to help them is look at their Policies or procedures, the way that they protect their environment and help them move that into the cloud.
1: Oh, right on. Okay, that's a that's a great yeah. summary and description, and a very valuable service. All right, I have a question for you, Dutch Schwartz. What yes. is missing in cybersecurity? I think what's missing
12: uh, in cybersecurity is you know there's a lot of and has been for the last year's a lot of talk about you know, the employment gap and how do we get people in and how do you break in? And I think those are all really valuable conversations. But, it, but one thing that for me is missing is bringing large numbers of people into cybersecurity or allowing them to move laterally into cybersecurity from a different part of the company. And what I mean is back in the 90s, when I started and I started with a small company, but then later I did like two small companies in a row. But then I went to like a Fortune two hundred company, and there were tons of training programs. So there was internship programs, but there was also just training. There's much more intensive training, like six weeks training when you came on board. And there was a culture at a lot of big companies of moving laterally in a company or moving, frankly, from different geographies inside of the company was, uh-huh. was not only acceptable, but it was encouraged. Like like I remember meeting like my my vice president's boss, or probably like a senior vice president, and one of the only questions he asked me is, "Are you willing to relocate?" And that was like an aggressive question, but he meant that like in a positive way because they wanted you to move around to different parts of the organization. There was an explicit understanding that, you know, um, being in 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 marketing and then moving into uh, logistics, or being in HR and moving into sales, that those were all valuable. As a matter of fact, we had like a six-week program where you could fill in for people who were on sabbaticals and this is pretty common uh in, in the mid 90s and so i saw a lot uh-huh. of companies do that i had friends that were doing this at lockheed unisys and g and other places and those programs i think largely went away after when the dot-com bubble burst mm-hmm. and so we saw just that you know it was one of the first things that got cut were these programs and there's some kind of a little bit of reemergence kind of in the the early 2000s around, especially around internships, but it, it feels like to me that, again, in 2008, 2009, that financial recession there, or crush anyway, um, that those programs often are one of the first things to get whacked, right? I mean, you're trying to save the core business and keep as many employees going and, and all those good things, but it, it sometimes is seen as one of those ancillary programs, right? Those training programs, and I think it's a big miss, uh, particularly, people being able to reskill, right, or move from different parts of your organization yeah. into cybersecurity. I just think there's a lot of untapped value there.
1: Yeah, yeah, the lateral movement at a large scale, encouraged and, and trained up so that it could happen, and suddenly that's vanishing. That could explain to a great degree some of the deficit of talent we always talk about in this industry. And, I, you know, I want to see a shout out to all listeners. Um, If you guys know of any research on this, if you've got some anecdotal evidence, my company used to do this, doesn't do this anymore, hit me up on LinkedIn or go to alanolford.com and send me a note. Uh, I would love to hear more on this, and maybe this is something we can do a deeper dive into. But, Dutch, I think you've really hit on something here.
12: Yeah, and, and I think that that you know, the, the internships the, the, there are there are some of those, and again, but I'd be really interested to see a study if somebody can do a macro study. Yep. what did that look like in 1998, right, uh, versus today, uh, just numerically or number of, of large companies and I don't know f 500 pick something stat, you know, that that you could that you could compare. And, and I and I think mentorship that doesn't change. That's hugely valuable, yeah, right? But, yeah, yeah. But we we've, we've talked about this as, as 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 small groups before. Mentorship is wildly valuable. But I'm sure you have the same experience. You can only mentor a handful of people at any given time, right? Yeah. It's It just you know c- creativity, emotional energy, just you know your jobby job, whatever you do, you know family life, etc. So you can do a few. So again, not suggesting we don't do that. And that's just the breaking into cybersecurity. There's lots of folks focused on that. I applaud those efforts. I just feel like there's a still a big miss. So I don't think we have a lack of, of people or lack of willingness for people to move into cybersecurity or move laterally. What we have is a lack of creativity. And so when I see that kind of a gap, I think, well, what did we used to do? Or you know, or what did another field do? And so that would be my other thing is, is there, are there other fields that have had this kind of a gap? Mm-hmm. And I don't know.
4: Mm-hmm. You
12: know and what could we learn from that? Yeah. You know, what did they do when they were forced with, wow, we have a, a, a parent, you know, uh, a gap of, you know, insert large number of people here. What, what did they do to kind of change that? Again, I think grassroots efforts, you have to have those, but large scale efforts, you're talking about massive impact. You've got to get, you know, public sector. You've got to get the defense industrial complex. You've got to get F500. you got to get large entities because that's yeah. what they're good at, right? They yeah. can motivate and move large, large obstacles, right? And so I'd love to see to your point the, the call out of I'd love to see if there's data out there that supports this, but but uh, on top of it, I just love to see a discourse because maybe other people have remember it differently, but that's my recollection, you know, having come out of the military. And same thing, we did, we constantly cross-trained in the military. Now yeah. it doesn't matter which yeah. branch you came from um, or or what you did, everybody it was just a natural thing. You were constantly training. Um, because there's a presumption, right, that you'd have to potentially fill in for somebody. And you don't have that same level. You see some, hey, let me move people from, you know, from the SOC to, to a different type of analyst role, to an engineering, to an architect. You see some of that, but it's, but it's still very narrow, right? It's still in the security field. Um, and I think we benefit from more expertise because we need to solve big problems. And so we need people from other areas to help us solve big problems.
1: Total agreement. All right, Dutch, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, Look in the mail for your door prize. Again, it'll be very, very tiny, little (laughs) small plastic door. Uh, I'm going to take another call from Uh, another caller now. Thank you so much for calling in.
12: Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it.
1: Howdy, and thank you for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with?
13: Hi, Alan. Uh, My name is Kevin Pope. Um, I am a VECISO with arcsec LLC, my organization that I uh, started, and I've had a uh, career through cybersecurity, coming up specifically through being a SOC analyst and senior analyst and a director. So, uh, you know, my passion is to help organizations that are small, small businesses and startups uh, for them to get the security leadership
1: that they need. That sounds great, man. That's a that's a market that definitely needs the help. So, I got a question for you, Kevin. What yep. is your best piece of advice to those who are trying to enter the cybersecurity field?
13: Great question. You know, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions uh, that I see when I speak about cybersecurity is that the first thing everyone goes to is ethical hacking. And certainly that's a critical part of security operations, but in that grand uh, scheme of security across the entire footprint of the organization, it's really uh, actually a small part of a much larger puzzle. Yeah. And when it comes to people looking to get into cybersecurity, they're, obviously they're doing it because they want a career. Yeah. It's a commitment to a lifetime of work. It, it's not just a, I'm going to do this for six months this summer. So with that, highlight, I think it's really important for those that are interested to realize exactly how broad security is and how it's relevant in every aspect of how the business operates. So um, I think, you know, in talking about it's a career, I, I don't want to see people end up limiting themselves and by extension their careers if they don't recognize that larger picture. Yeah, um, And you can be missing out on so much more And just by stepping back and broadening the perspective, you get access to so many new options.
1: No, full agreement. It's, you know, it's you're right. The ethical hacking piece is the piece that I think everyone thinks is the cool thing. Right. It's it. That's that's the obvious draw. That's the obvious cool thing. That's the obvious. You know, when you think of being a security person, like that's the first thing that comes to mind. But these other positions and these other skill sets required to fulfill those positions leave such a wealth on the table. You know, I mean, people with backgrounds that have nothing to do with cyber can easily transition into some of these other roles. You know, a a GRC lead or an analyst or, you know, there's a million and one things you can do. So full agreement.
13: Yeah. I mean, and as far as breaking into that first job, exactly. I think they should consider that getting a CEH is not really the only way to get your foot in the door. Right. Um, Particularly anything in cloud security right now is hot. And particularly cloud IAM and we need, we constantly need more SOC analysts and trust me, if you want to challenge SOC analyst is not for the faint of heart Been there. Right. Um, There's the compliance angle and, you know, GRC. And so I would say maybe a little less than half of cybersecurity isn't even technical and requires zero ability to code. Although, you know, knowing Python obviously is always going to be valuable to you. Right. Um, So my advice really is boils down to don't make it harder on yourself than it needs to be, and don't just follow the path that you think everyone else is following. And don't it. follow the path that's kind of been pushed on you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
13: Because our unfortunately, you know, our, our industry is guilty of it. We kind of lean into it. Um, and so I think people should just do a ton of research and figure out what part of security interests them. And if pen testing is really where it's at for them, by all means, go for it. Uh, But just realize that it's already hard enough to get your foot in the door and you can move laterally once you're in, but just try to keep that into uh, account and and don't limit your options. So in learning about security as a whole, the vast number of roles out there, uh, learn about those roles and what they do, what skills they're looking for, and then target it and go after that. And so I just wanted to go real quick over uh, a few tangible examples. I pulled... Some of these from the SANS 20, coolest cybersecurity career. Oh, right on. Threat Hunter. Yep. Red Team. Digital Forensic Analysis, which is a super cool, very rare job. We need lots of those guys. Yeah. We just don't get enough. Forensics
1: is definitely an, an art form and a science, for sure.
13: Yeah. Malware Analyst, Security Engineer, Incident Response Team, Security Analyst, OSINT Investigator, which is super cool. Cloud security analyst, intrusion detection analyst, security awareness officer, which then that also ties into compliance, which is super great. Yeah, um, vulnerability researcher. This one I I didn't even think about. Media exploitation analyst.
1: Yes, I've got a friend who actually attended a, an international conference. He's a PhD in uh, at, over at Texas A and M, and he attended an international conference that was done by military uh, government. Academic, uh, it was a private sector, it was a whole mishmash, and that's exactly what the whole focus was on, was the media, mani- mani- media yes. manipulation. It was quite a thing he told me about.
13: Incredible, yeah. So, you know, one of the things I like to do is actually give people actionable um, ideas yep. instead of just, just speaking to the high level. So what they can do, here's some things that you can actually do if you want to break it. You can go onto any of the major tech recruiting platforms, such as DICE, and just do a generic search for cybersecurity, and then look through the job descriptions that are posted there, learn about what's hot, what's available now, and what it is they're asking you to know, be able to do to get that job. Right on. And then you can use that, sort of get an idea of what's out there, and then you can drill down on something that you're interested in. By doing online searches for growth trends for those careers, as well as get information about the average salaries for that position, what they look like. Beautiful. Um, you can even sometimes find reviews of people in that field who are rating the job in terms of work-life balance, for example, Glassdoor. Uh-huh. Um, and don't forget that YouTube is a valuable source because you can often find people in those careers who do videos about what it's like to do that job in reality.
1: Fantastic. That's fantastic advice. Kevin, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for getting concrete and getting real with us. And I'm going to take another call from another caller now.
13: Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. All Thanks right. for uh,
1: talking to Thank you. Howdy. Thanks for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who's on the line?
14: Hey. hey, Alan, it's Julian.
1: Oh, hey, Julian. Why don't you tell our listeners very briefly what you do in cyber?
14: I'm the CISO of Acralis small fintech based out of New York.
1: Fantastic. So I got a question for you. How do we prioritize our defenses?
14: That's a great question. Uh, What I always say is uh, focus on your adversaries. Uh, If we can understand who our adversaries are, how they plan and operate, what their goals and motivations are, what their resources and constraints are, how their attacks and, and playbooks and campaigns look like, We'll be able to understand uh, what are the, t- the typical attacks that we're most likely to see. Who are the adversaries that we're most likely to see? How effective our controls are going to be, and which controls we should uh, be prioritizing based on what are the attacks that we're going to see and what are the things that we are uh, most likely to see from specific adversaries or, or or general groups of adversaries.
1: Right on. So this is kind of uh, you know the 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 breach and attack simulation miter attack framework kind of approach where you basically start threat forward. You figure out who and what you're actually up against and then, and then craft your defense around that.
14: Yeah. The, the one, the one, like those are great frameworks and and great tools, but like the one thing that's important to remember is that adversaries are, are people too. They're, they're, they're resource constrained they're organizationally constrained uh, they have politics and, and, uh, and, bureau- and bureaucracy that, that they need to work through mm-hmm. and if we just focus on you know what what is typical of specific adversaries we'll be able to you know, use frameworks like mitre to help to help t- taxonomize and categorize those things but make sure that we are collecting real information about real adversaries and are um, uh, and when talking about adversaries that 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 we're using data and evidence rather than what we expect a specific adversary to look like based on a breach and attack simulation uh, uh exercise or uh a miter attack um, um, identifier
1: right on that sounds fantastic. uh get to know thy enemy as as you know thyself right. Exactly. All right. Well, Julian, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to take a call from another guest now. Um, thanks again.
14: Thanks a bunch. Have a good one.
1: Thank you for calling into the Cyber Ranch. Uh, who's our caller?
14: Hi,
15: this is Benjamin Coral. I am the CISO of Americas for Zscaler.
1: All right on. And also a former practitioner CISO as well, yes?
15: Absolutely.
1: All right. Thank you, Benjamin, for calling in. This is really good stuff. I got a question for you. What do you love most about being in cybersecurity?
15: Oh, I like that question. What do I love most about being in cybersecurity? I think it really comes down to the people that are in security. These are my people and they are so willing to help. Doesn't matter what it comes down to, but you you have an issue. You reach out to your network say hey i encountered x who has experience doing this you're going to get answers upon answers of saw it handled it this is what i did right maybe this is what i would have changed because it didn't go so well but it really comes down to the people the people that are willing to help they want to help they want to Uh, enable the others, especially those who are coming up after us. You know, those of us old folks that have been around uh, the block of timer three, really do feedback into the community as well. That's what I love about being in cybersecurity.
1: Oh, that's a fantastic answer, and I I, I fully agree. I think that's probably my favorite aspect of it all, too. It's amazing to me. You know, outsiders see us as being paranoid and playing things close to the vest, and yet inside the cyber community there is so much openness, so much willingness to share. Uh, Mentors abound, mentees abound, all kinds of relationships, the conferences and the get-togethers. Uh, even vendors and practitioners getting along, right? Like it, it, it is one large community, and I'm grateful to be a part of it too.
15: Absolutely. Love it.
1: All right, Benjamin. Well, thank you so much. I got another caller calling in. I will talk to you soon. And thank you again. Thanks, Alan. Howdy. Thanks for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who's on the line?
16: You got Chris Cochran.
1: And Ron Eddings, ah, the, oh, the Hacker Valley gentleman in the house.
16: <laughs> yes, sir, well, in the house.
1: Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for calling into the hundredth episode uh, call-in special. I before before you guys say anything, I got to say something here, which is thank you to both of you. You guys inspired me. You guys gave me a home. The Cyber Ranch wouldn't exist if it weren't for you guys. And here we are, two years into it, a hundred episodes into it, and uh, I couldn't be happier with the results. Thank you all so much for the support that not just you, but the whole Hacker Valley team have given me.
16: Oh, of course. You know, we, we got to thank you, you know, for trusting us with uh, your baby. Getting to 100 episodes, that's like, that's mind-boggling. Most podcasts don't make it past seven episodes. So when you hit 100 episodes, you know you got something really special, it, at least from the uh, the inspiration and motivation side of the house. But I think once you get to that 100 episode, uh, you're, you're cooking with grease at that point, and uh, I would say your show has just grown by leaps and bounds uh, based on the production value, the conversations you're having. I mean, you, you're, you're the goat, and we couldn't be more proud to have you a part of the Hacker Valley family.
1: Oh, man. Thank you so much. And the one thing I would like to say also,
16: Alan, is, one, you know, you become a brother to us. Like, the just amount of time we've been able to spend with each other, you know, whenever we get to see each other, it's always like a homecoming and one of the things that I've always loved about your show, and even you as a person, is your work ethic. There's really nothing that you can't learn. You're always pushing yourself, trying new things out, and also displaying the excellence that we always try to do at Hacker Valley. So you're, you're family to us, and thank you for all you do.
1: Hey, you guys, you guys make it easy to get along, uh, for real. So th- thank you all <laughs> so much for calling in. It's great to hear from you. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take another guest now. So thank you all, all both. All right,
16: do it, and, yeah, here's, here's to another 100. Right on. Here's to another 100. All thanks, right. Was-
1: thank you, gentlemen. Howdy, and thanks for calling into the Cyber Ranch. Who do we have on the line? Hey,
0: Alan, it's uh, Chris Patterson. I am the uh, <coughs> CTO and CISO with Front Door Collective, but also uh, Logic H Field Risk Officer. So very excited that it is the 100th episode. Uh, hard to believe.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and I want to point out to our listeners that uh, Chris Patterson, also known as CPAT, is the other notorious cowboy hat to look for at RSA. If you see a white hat, it's him. If you see a ch- chocolate-colored hat, it's not black, it's chocolate. It's me. There you
0: go. Yep, The Risk Wranglers. The Risk <laughs>
1: Wranglers. There we are. All right, so I got a question for you, man. Um, and this one's a little more esoteric, a little more granular than some of the questions we've been asking on the show so far. But I'm really curious because I know you've done a little bit of digging into this, this whole post-quantum crypto thing. Like, how real is it? How worried should we be?
0: So I got tied into this when I was with uh, RSA uh, back in the day, and we were starting to look at some of this with NIST. And this is almost four years ago, and and things have changed radically since then. Uh, Just even this past week, uh, the Biden administration announced that they were going to start to really focus on this. NIST has and has been working on for some time the standards to deal with it. But my concern in looking at this and what's really scary to me is this isn't like Y2K where we're changing a couple of digits. We're talking about the full set, full wholesale swap of the entire cryptography uh, that we have in all of our platforms. So if you start to think about banking, everything we do in cybersecurity, you can, you can even bring in cryptocurrencies and things along that line. If nation states are taking the first versions of quantum computing and focusing that solely on uh, breaking cryptography, uh, we've got some challenges, right? So we've got to get the standard from NIST. The one that they passed, I, I heard, was uh, already broken very quickly, I think, by, by some college students. I'd have to go back and check my notes on that. But it's concerning because even if they get the standard out, think about how long, and this is you know, where I'd start raise my hand as RSA. You know, we have to get then get that into our products and many other products. And then from there, there's the whole sales process. And we know how that goes with, with vendors. Uh, just even if you said, yeah, I want to buy that product, uh, you've got to go through the valuation and get it into the company and installed. So if you start to look at the timelines, I'm a bit worried that we are already kind of in the danger zone. So where Y2K, we knew where the date was with uh, this post-quantum crypto. It's a floating date. We don't know when this could happen. Uh, but the impacts could be quite significant. So, uh, you know, I've been talking with a few different CISOs, especially in financial institutions. Is this something we need to put on the radar and actually start digging into? And maybe maybe the effort now that the, the Biden administration has brought some focus to it, maybe maybe now is the time, and we'll start to see more of that in 2023. But uh, it's an interesting problem, and I'm, I'm very curious as to what the others think out there.
1: Wow. So I knew kind of philosophically, I knew this one was on our horizon. I didn't realize it was this close or this... Um dangerous for us. This is, this is some amazing stuff. I'm going to go do some research on my own now and maybe we'll do an entire Cyber Ranch episode on that topic. Um, well, we'll see, Pat, thanks so much for calling in, man. This was uh, some good insights. I'm glad we dove into a little more technical, a little more practical uh, realm. A lot of the questions have been more general purpose. Um, this was really good to do a bit of a deep dive. Uh, thank you for calling in and thank you for Absolutely. being a listener.
0: Absolutely. Look, uh, look forward to catching up and congratulations on the 100th episode.
1: All right. Thank you, man. Howdy. Thanks for calling into the Cyber Ranch. Who do we have on the line?
17: Hey, this is Peter Schallacher.
1: Hey, Peter. How are you?
17: uh, Good, good. Thanks. How are you doing?
1: And where are you doing good? Where are you calling in from?
17: Um, I live in Oaxaca, Mexico.
1: Our first caller from Mexico. Fantastic. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what you do in cyber?
17: Yeah, um, I've been in cyber for about 25 years. Most of that is cybersecurity operations, um, DFIR, intrusion analysis, things like that. These days I run a little um, services company um, that delivers cybersecurity services to clients in the United States and Europe. Um, mostly with people out of Mexico.
1: Fantastic. And it's called, near, called nearshore cyber. Right on. Okay. So I got a question for you. Um, we get a lot of negativity in this industry. A lot of folks are always complaining about what we're doing wrong. So my question for you is, what are we doing right in cybersecurity?
17: Yeah, what we're, what we're doing right is we're, we're riding the wave of, of trouble pretty well, and we're, we're trying to understand other people's perspectives. Um, and I, I, think a lot of that just has to do with the maturation of the people in it. Um, you know, you know, my generation, which I think is your generation was a pretty small co- cohort and we're, you know, we're, we're, pretty good at leading the, you know, the subsequent generations through the process that we went through, but it's one that has a lot more tools and a lot more information, a lot more resources that are, that are available to us. So, um, you know, that's. That's one. My response to that, when it comes to outsiders, is how well is your sector doing?
4: Mm-hmm. How
17: are, you know is anybody else really doing better than cyber? And I, I you know, um, I don't, I don't think anybody's doing particularly well in in, this, in the ways that they usually mean it, or that we tend to think of it. The whole world is is going is destabilized, uh, and we're all just trying to hang together. And I, I think, I think, you know, we'll we'll get through it.
1: I'm I'm with you on that one. I'm with you and, and I I do agree. I think the the folks that are entering cyber now have it I, I don't wanna I don't wanna sound like the old timer like, they got it so much easier, but you know, I I started with no mentor, I started with no internet, I started without a lot of the stuff that's at our at our disposal now today. And I, I've certainly benefited from all the changes and I'm certainly going faster and doing more than I did. And I think the folks entering the field um have got that advantage to start with as well. Uh, I don't want to sound like old man yelling at cloud, but uh, I wish we'd had some of that stuff back then. Um, so I appreciate yeah. that perspective. And, and it's interesting you bring up how are we doing versus some of the other industries, some of the other practices and crafts. Um, I think a lot of folks naysay cyber, and a lot of folks are saying we're, we're fighting a losing battle and the, the bad guys are winning more than the good guys are winning. And I just don't think that's true. I think awareness is at an all-time high, and um, I, I, think, I think all in all we're doing well. Yeah.
17: Well, I, I think the, 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 the problems that come to us from cyber come to us from outside of cyber. I mean, you have geopolitical the, the uncertainty. You have IT. I mean, the, the, the reason security gets more difficult is because there's just a lot more IT out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, frankly, like when, when people talk about the, the, um, the, the problem of, of staffing roles, And a lot of what I do when it comes to being recruiting, some of it is like virtual CISO, some of it is kind of like um, security security operations. But you know, a lot of what I do is just just hunt hunt to talent. Um, And I talk to an awful lot of people who whose jobs would be better if IT was better and if businesses were run better. Right. Right. So if you want to if you if you want to point fingers, just point in any direction and you'll find somebody who's worthy worthy of blame. Right, but at the same time, it means we're all we are all in this together. And when I say we, I mean people who, who don't have a security title. Um, wh- when I got into this business, it was you know I was a tech writer,
4: uh-huh. and
17: I got I t- I picked up a I picked up a job at Citigroup as a tech writer, was supposed to um, uh, document firewall processes for Citibank as a pen. Okay, and I did it for the money, right? And I came through a certain weird door. And I think a lot, of, a lot of us did that. And when somebody says, well, how'd you get into this business? and My first thought, well, you couldn't do it that way. Like, well, I, I still think that that's kind of true. That there, there, there isn't one way in. I think the training industry bears a lot of responsibility for misconceptions about the path in the field. There isn't just one. It sure as hell isn't pen testing. Um, it's, it's, it's really a matter of like, find where you are, get into a business and then go meet the security team and ask how you can help. I like that. Cause they need help, but, the, but they need people who understand the business at least as much as they need people who know how, you know, how to run the tools. Yeah. Um, you know, and th- the good news is that ain't, that's not rocket surgery. What I just said.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's it not it doesn't
17: require you yeah, yeah. You don't have to spend twenty grand on a boot camp. Um, the resources are readily available and the coaches are probably sitting in a cube, you know, three cubes over, you know, or available over on a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, but I think it's also important that people recognize that being a security specialist is not not just as, not only is it not just for everybody. It's not for
1: most of the people who think that they want to get security. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know. a full agreement there. And I've got, you know, two of my favorite CISOs on the planet are, uh, they both grew up with a business background, not a security background. They, they came from business to security as opposed to IT to security, which was kind of the path I think almost all of us took, you know, uh, as old guard folks anyway. Um, and, and they're two of my favorite and most effective CISOs. Uh, one of them I consult on a routine basis about all kinds of things. Um, so yeah, um, full agreement on your, on your position. I appreciate your inputs and I've got a call coming in from another caller. So I'm going to let you go. Uh, thank you so much for calling in. Hey, thank you. This was fun. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for calling into the cyber ranch. Who am I talking to?
18: You're talking to Adrian Sonabria.
1: Adrian, how are you, sir? Welcome back to the show. And, um, tell us a little bit for the listeners who don't know what you do in cyber.
18: Sure. Yeah, I actually do a lot of things.
1: Probably too
18: many things. But I, I'm the host of the Enterprise Security Weekly podcast. Good show. Uh, which is a weekly two and a half, three hour podcast. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work to put together. We do a lot of interviews. We cover the news. We cover uh, market stuff, which is which is crazy to uh, to cover. You know, all these billion dollar security startups. But then I I'm also the head of product for a early stage vendor, an early-stage third-party risk management startup called Tenchi Security, and it's my first time being a product manager. So that's really cool, being able to kind of direct the direction of uh, the product, say this needs to go here, it should work like this. A lot of fun. Uh, love flexing those creative
1: muscles. Yeah, security product management is... Uh, done it, love it. One of my favorite roles on the planet. I know I'm a practitioner at heart. I will always be a practitioner, but that product side has so much allure, man. Yeah, and then
18: the last thing I, I do a lot of community stuff. Um, you and me are members of the the Tinkers. We're both on the board for the Security Tinkers. Yep. yep. Uh, I run Beside Knoxville. We're about to to do our ninth year.
1: Right on. I talk
18: to high school students. Uh, we we have some some of our local high school. High schools around here have cybersecurity classes and clubs. So I go talk to them on a regular basis. I do some mentoring. Um, that, that's probably the space where I, I, I go out too far. I, I probably do a bit bit more than I really comfortably have time for. Yeah. But I love
1: it. I, I get that. I get that indeed. Well, speaking of time, I have a question for you to take up more of your time. Uh, I'm going to ask you, what is it? we are not doing in cybersecurity that we should be doing.
18: Yeah. So this is, um, and it's kind of frustrating. Like I mentioned the billions of dollars in marketing and we, we have all these big conferences and people go up and give talks and there's a certain level of attention and entertainment that goes with all that. You know, there's the things that we should be doing and then the things that, you know the marketing dollars want us to do, yeah. You know, or the speaker, you know, researcher doing cool stuff, you know, wants to tell us about. But, and in an industry that I suspect has a higher propensity of ADHD folks, folks who are focused, challenged, <laughs> I worry <laughs> that uh, all that, all that money in, in the marketing and all all these talks we love to go to and we we enjoy listening to all these these cool hacks and. Uh, exploits and vulnerabilities and things like that distracts us from what we should be doing, which is rather boring. And, you know, it's difficult for it, for, you know, the stuff we should be doing to, to hold our attention as much.
1: Yep. This, this is why I love Axonia so much. I normally don't name brands, but to me, like the, 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 the byline and, and mm-hmm. their CMO would kill me for saying this, making the boring stuff sexy.
18: <laughs> so fun, funny, uh funny story. Uh, that's a quote from, uh, a piece that I wrote about Exonius when they had just come out of stealth. No way. So he, he got that for me. <laughs> he literally got that for me.
1: No way. I thought I made that one up. Actually. Interesting. Making the boring stuff sexy. It needs to yeah. happen. The boring stuff matters so much in this profession. And we get all distracted he, he, by the sexy he stuff. Gets, yeah. He got so excited when
18: he saw that he was like, "I'm
1: going to take that and run with it." Oh, that's <laughs> I must. I must have gotten it from him, who got it from you, and I thought it was one of my own original ones. That this happens all the time when you podcast. I plagiarize ideas and don't I mean, even realize it, I did uh, it.
18: No, I mean, I, I mean it, it's it's a common thought, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, n- neither of us are the first people to have this thought. Back in the, I think late 2000s, uh, Ian F. Tuck, uh, Amit had a a series of talks he did that. Uh, all, all about bring sexy back for for defense. There you go. You know, how how to make defense se- sexy because everybody was uh attracted over to the offensive security side, the pen testing side right. and he was trying to you know, trying to show defense in a different light so we could get uh, some of the big talent over
1: on that side. It's been a, solving, it's been a common problem. theme on this call show so far, this this whole idea that everybody who enters the field seems to think, you know, CEH is the way to go, right? Like, pen tester, ethical hacker, like, dude, I'm going to be a hacker. Like, that seems to be the glamour draw to our industry, and, and it's such a small portion of what's available to be done, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and so
18: that's, that's kind of where I'm going with this is – You can really combine the two. And that's the thing I see missing here is Mm. is people aren't hacking themselves. Like, like with this whole last pass breach, you know, there's just so many assumptions flying around based on what they wrote in the blog post. And, you know, it, it, it occurred to me, man, I I am, I'm tweeting and tooting as we do now on on Mastodon about stuff. Like, I'm not even really sure this is correct. Like, like this is my interpretation of their blog post. You know, so somebody pointed out, hey, there's this GitHub project. You can use that GitHub project to uh, to dump your LastPass vault. Mm-hmm. And you can choose to dump it uh, encrypted or decrypted. Mm-hmm. So you can see exactly which fields are encrypted, which ones aren't. Right. And, and that answered all my questions, you know. And, uh, you know, smacked my forehead and said, of course, you know, like, like POC or GTFO, as the saying goes, like, do the work, you know don't trust anybody else's word for it. Do it yourself. And that's what I'm not seeing uh, on the defense side enough. Like we've got these lists of, you know, you need to CIS benchmark says I need to do this stuff. And, you know, but we don't know why we're doing it. We don't know if it actually works. I see a lot of deployments of vendors' products that are incorrectly configured, Yeah, you know, and we see so many cases in these breaches where they had the people, they owned the products, they just didn't do any testing.
3: Yeah. You know, they, yeah.
18: They, they didn't actually put all that together and say, hey, does it all work? Is it going to stop an attack? And to do that, you have to simulate an, an attack. You have to combine those offensive skills with the defensive skills yep. to make sure that your defenses work.
1: Yeah, that's been you another know, theme in this can... show. That's been another theme in the show so far with all the guests I've talked to is you have to get in the mind of the adversary. You have to understand that attack-forward perspective, that threat-forward perspective, or your defense will never be right.
18: Yeah, and sports analogies work pretty well here. You know, if you've got a new play that you want to try, you know, to use like a football analogy, are you going to wait till the big game to try it out, or are you going to, you know, split your team in two and, you know, uh, have them play it against each other?
1: Right. That's that's a perfect analogy. That's exactly it. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for calling in, and thank you for, again, great insights. Uh, Always appreciate talking to you. I always walk away learning something. Um, Thank you so much. Likewise. Likewise, Alan. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for being a part of my 100th episode special.
4: woo <laughs> Howdy,
1: thanks for calling into the Cyber Ranch. Who's this? Hey, this is Chris Fulon. How are you doing? Good. Chris Fulon, ladies and gentlemen, a rock star in the industry. If you haven't heard his podcast, you need to. If you haven't uh, checked out his books, you need to. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for calling in.
19: Absolutely. When I heard you were doing this event, I had to figure how I'd call in and um, contribute
1: to it. I appreciate it, man. So I got a question for you, Chris. Uh, First of all, tell our listeners what you do in cyber before we dive into the the question. Give give folks a little bit of a background.
19: So I I would say I have two main roles in my career. Um, At my day job, I work at a fintech. I help with Uh, cybersecurity and helping the business understand where the risk is and find ways to solve it. And then uh, for my passion, I help grow cybersecurity leaders from other fields that are coming into cyber and growing into future cybersecurity leaders.
1: I love it. I love it, man. That's uh, something that we, (laughs) we need in this industry. So I got a question for you, sir. Where do you think this whole cybersecurity thing is headed? I
19: think just like many roles in IT, things are getting shifted behind services. So just as IT has become expendable on a credit card and you can get everything as a service, You're going to find that the businesses are going to want to provide that cybersecurity in such a transparent way to their stakeholders that it's not in the way, or they're going to go around it just like they did with IT. I think using an infusion model or a fusion model where you have security stakeholders as part of the business, mm-hmm. say, uh, like a BSO model, where they're advocating for the business, but they're also advocating to the business about cybersecurity, so it becomes that transparent that it's part of day-to-day business.
1: People ask me a lot. Uh, I've been a BSO and I've and I've led BSO teams and I get asked a lot by other CISOs, like I've never done the BSO thing, how does it work? And the first piece of advice I always give them is your BSO should be more loyal to their business unit than they are to you.
19: <laughs> Absolutely. They they are the advocate for the business. They are telling the CSO where the business is going and what they need to succeed. Now it's the CSO's job to decide what to do to get there safely, but the BSO will uh, will or should always advocate um, to help the business with what they're looking for in order to achieve their mission.
1: Yep, that's exactly it, man. That's exactly it. So, so you think the BSO role is going to blossom? We're going to see more integration with the business, or do you think it's going to somehow evolve past the BSO role and get more business integrated without that role?
19: I think you're, you're going to want the BSO role in those larger organizations because mm-hmm. the, the FISO might not be able to stretch as much. You're going to become um, a service model just like IT did. And then you're also going to find that a lot of the cloud security providers are going to have to up their security game because um, people unfortunately are getting tired of breaches yeah. and while while many say until it affects their pocketbooks, um, no, companies are not going to make a difference, I think it's you're starting to see that whether it's insurance, whether it's something else that it's starting to affect their pocketbooks and and they just can't overlook it
1: anymore. Completely fair point, Chris, thank you so much for calling in
19: absolutely have a great day
1: all right take care howdy thanks for calling into the cyber ranch who's this hi
20: alan it's uh claude mandy here
1: hey claude haven't heard from you in a long time how the heck are you
20: not too bad as you know we've kind of moved around a bit in the the last year so I'm, i'm back here in the states um and i'm the uh have a current role of chief evangelist at uh symmetry systems which is an exciting new startup
1: oh right on so you've been, let's see, you've been an analyst, you've yeah. been a CISO, now you're at a startup. What else have you done in this industry?
20: Well, you know, I think uh, that probably, probably sums it up. I kind of cut my teeth as, a, as an auditor many, many years ago. Right. In a, a bit of my age here, but then I kind of got into security from there, which is a, a bit of an unusual path. And then, uh, yeah, became a CESA for a global insurance company, uh, kind of took a back step because uh, of family commitments and decided to become an analyst at Gartner for uh, many years. And then, uh, yeah, kind of playing now that the kids are a little bit older, playing in the, the startup world again, which is uh, exciting.
1: That's awesome, man. I just I just finished a, a stint in the startup world myself, and it's always like the energy levels are so insane. It's it, it, For those who've never done startups, you got to do it at least once. It's a, It's its own cool thing for sure.
20: Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Symmetry Systems is kind of something I, I kind of believe in, you know, like they kind of getting security back to to its roots, you know, focusing on the data and securing that at scale with precision and accuracy. I love it. A, kind of a uh, pretty exciting space to be in at the moment.
1: That is a good space to be in. Well done. And I uh, hope you guys have nothing but success in your future. Appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, I got a question for you. Um, we're talking in terms of like what are we doing and not doing in cyber that we should be not doing or doing in cyber like where are we getting it wrong what what is it that's going on that shouldn't be going on or what's going on that should be going on you know like like walk me through what you think the big answer is in that space uh
20: you know i've I've kind of I had a couple of rants recently uh, just about the amount of fear, uncertainty, and, and doubt. You know, I'm kind of in a quasi-marketing role uh-huh. at the moment as a chief evangelist, and I just see still this huge amount of fear, uncertainty, and doubt being used to sell business cases to, to kind of get people to, to kind of buy into security. You know, the, especially in the data space, we've seen kind of this rem- reemergence of data is the new oil kind of emerge into data as the new uranium you know, it's kind of all decided to create the sphere of, you know, unless you get cybersecurity right, you're going to blow up your organization. The challenge with all of that that we've kind of seen that I'm kind of going on this rant about is if you, you know, the boy who cried wolf, Mm -hmm. if you do that continuously and it never blows up, it never kind of creates, you know, the the organization going out of that. And we've seen these kind of dips in share prices, but then boomerang straight up to where it was. And sometimes above
4: that. Right.
20: you know, it never kind of plays plays out. Yeah. But what it does do is next time you go out there with this fear, uncertainty, and doubt and say the sky is falling, you know, people are going to start ignoring us. Right. So I'd love just to, to kind of get away from that and start seeing both the vendors and the marketing kind of take people focus on what their product does and the problems it does solve rather than kind of resorting to this kind of the sky is falling, so if you don't buy our product, right. don't do this, you're going right. to be in big trouble.
1: You know, that that advice even applies to the CISO in their own role, communicating back to the C-suite, to the board, to the rest of the business. It's that same phenomenon, right? Every good CISO who's been around the block more than once knows you can't use those tactics more than once ever, and even then it's sketchy to use them, right? Like Like if you try to frighten your business into funding your program, you're headed down a, a self-destructive path. And I think if every CISO has learned that lesson, like to your point, why haven't the vendors learned that lesson? Why do we still see so much of this? Absolutely right there with you, man.
20: Yeah. And I think you can kind of find the middle ground where if you get the the right kind of performance measures and really talk in that business language, you can communicate about the positive pieces that you're generating through the product, et cetera. And you can kind of improvement in these metrics, per- improvement in performance, but then you can play that off against what the cost is, and people can make that choice of, you know, am I willing to, to kind of increase my rate of patching by spending an extra 100K on a new person or, you know, improve my data security by this amount, you know, reduce my data blast radius by this amount by spending this amount on a on a product. Uh-huh. I think there's, there's kind of ways to get that.
1: Yep, I get it. I totally get it. Well, listen, Claude, thank you so much for calling in. Great insights, great tips. This is going to be a really good show, and I'm glad you contributed part of it, and it's great to hear from you again. It's my pleasure, and congratulations on reaching 100. That's a a big milestone. I know. It's crazy. I'm like, 100, how did I do this? And I've got more to do. So (laughs) back to work. (laughs) Right on. Thank you, sir. All the best, my friend. Thank you. Howdy. Thanks for calling the Cyber Ranch. Who is this? Alan, This is Gary Hayslip. How you doing, buddy? Hey, brother. How are you be? Hey, y'all,
21: Happy New Year's
1: to you. Yeah, happy New Year's indeed. We're recording this one on New Year's Eve day, uh, and it'll be released on Wednesday. It'll be the first show of the new year, my 100th episode. Sweet. All right, so for our listeners who don't know you, and I'm sure 99% of them do, but for those who don't, uh, real quick, just kind of what's your role in Cyber? Give us a little bit about Gary.
21: Um, I'm a cyber whisperer, <laughs> so I just, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm just someone that's been in cyber a long time, you know, IT and cyber a long time, multiple roles as a CIO, as a CISO, you know, I mentor, you know, vets who are transitioning. I work with startups. It's just a wide range of stuff. You know, I write, keynote, you know, you know, I mean, I, I hang out with you quite a lot, drink whiskey
1: when we can. There you go. All right, folks, I got a question for Gary that y'all are going to enjoy hearing him talk about, and that is... The trend away from device-centric, network-centric, on-prem-centric security to a data-centric model. Gary, what's that trend all about?
21: Well, I mean, I think, you know, it really becomes prevalent the more uh, an organization goes full cloud. You know, my current employer, we're 100% SaaS. You know, so I have nothing on-prem. I don't own any, uh, you know, hardware. I don't own any data centers. You know, I, have to, I don't have to chase servers or anything. Instead, it's a full SaaS model, yep. you know, and so the you know the security stack, I have to admit, changes a bit. Your policies change a bit um, because you're really focused on data. You're really focused on data and uh, the endpoint that the, uh, the user is using, and you're focused on how employees authenticate and what they access. And the trend I see is that uh, as more organizations move towards, you know, a full SaaS, you know, a full cloud kind of environment like that, you know, I think the next step is going to be, you know, security teams and IT teams will no longer want to manage the endpoint. So it'll mm-hmm. be like, you know, bring your own device, bring your own network connection, bring your own apps that you're going to use for work, and the security is all going to be focused on data. Yeah. It's all going to be focused on how the data is being used, you know, where the data is being stored at, what, what data you have access to that you authenticate to, and – you know, I find it fascinating because in some ways, you know, the the network infrastructure and everything that a security team is really concerned about flattens and gets, you know, a lot smaller. Yeah. But the security picture at the same time becomes a lot more intricate and involved because, I mean, you know, I'm fond of saying data is like water. You know, and yeah. water finds all the little nooks and cracks to get into. Right, right. And it's insane, you know… Um, The things you start getting concerned about when you move down to, you know, your security stack down to the data layer and you're looking at, you know, how people are using data and where they're sharing it, Mm -hmm. you know, and, hey, do they access this and rename it and then try to send it to their personal Gmail account? You know, there's so many interesting things. Um, And then you start looking at, you know, your SaaS vendors. All of a sudden you're like, hey, you know, I don't own anything, but I've got 300 SaaS vendors Mm -hmm. that my company uses for doing business. How does each one of them handle data? What right. countries are they in? What privacy laws now pertain to that data and how it's accessed and where it's used? And, yeah, it's it's a really, I you know, I find it fascinating. And I spend a lot of time talking with um, startups um, currently right now. And, um, you know, I've got an ongoing project. You know, I'm into my second year on the project of data privacy
4: mm-hmm. and data
1: protection,
21: you know, at SoftBank where I work at. And I'm continually tweaking and looking at, you know, how we manage, you know, our data.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, when I was at NTT, we had a very similar uh, challenge in tech stack as well. And, you know, we found that a combination of SASE with a secure config management with an EDR was enough to say any device that wants to connect um, needs to pass a health check. And once you pass the health check, we don't care if it's your device, we don't care if it's at home, we don't care if it's at work, we don't care if it's at the office, we don't care if it's at Starbucks. You know, there, there was this whole kind of model that we built there that was very much that kind of tech stack, you know, data-centric approach. But it's tough. It's tough to pull off. And without something like SASE, you can't get the hooks into all that SAS activity, right?
21: Yeah, I mean, and that's what we're doing now. And, and then we're using other um, tools to where we're watching for SAS creep. You know, to make right sure on. that, you know, people are, you, can, you know, SaaS apps into the network. Yep, yep. You know, we're, um, you know, and then if we do see SaaS, you know, apps that are unsanctioned, you know, how do we go ahead and block them and then send it on over to the, you know, the SaaS environment, to uh, you mm-hmm. know, prevent mm-hmm. any type of uh, web traffic, you know, going to and fro you know, something that's not authorized. Yeah. You know And then there's, you know, a lot of discussions around um, that we're looking at right now to where you know you authenticate with your device you know and you're allowed a specific set of apps and access to a specific type of data and now we're we're looking at vendors as to okay you know how do we make data aware yeah aware that it's allowed to be accessed by you yep. that it's allowed to be accessed by your device in this geolocation at this time and then if something doesn't meet a b c and d um you raise a red flag. Yeah. You delete yourself. You, you know, you. Know what I'm saying, yeah. And a uh, complete
1: inversion of our back, basically. It's it's kind of like identity yeah. and access management, except for data.
21: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're 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 looking at them. Um, okay, we share you know tons of data, you know, with companies that we're looking to invest in, and companies that we're doing due diligence on. And um, how do we tag that data? That we when the the business deal is done, if we want that data back. How do we get it back? Yeah, or how do we just okay? They can keep the data, but now the data is encrypted, right? And so it's useless,
1: right? There's there's a whole world there of you know that's a that's a really hard cryptography challenge because you've got to be able to say things like uh, Fred left the company, but his manager still has yeah. access to it, or. Um, Fred left the company and Fred should not have access to it or what if I'm restoring from backups and the backups are older than the the crypto key expiration or yeah. there's a lot of challenges with that one.
21: Yeah, so I mean, you know, what you're looking at is not just the encryption piece, but the policy piece too. So I mean, the encryption has to be aware yes, yes of what it's allowed to do and then and if it loses connection to its policy set, okay, my default is this until You know, I get reconnected. You know, so it's things like that 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 we're looking at. um, Right on. You know, being able to put in place, and um, I mean, I'm excited about it. I mean, I, um, you know, I'm I'm excited in 2023 to continue working on this project and looking at technology. And I honestly think, you know, more of what we do as CISOs, as you know, security, you know, professionals and practitioners, is going to move more, you know, towards the the data protection space.
1: Oh, full agreement. Full agreement. Well, Gary, thank you so much for calling into the show.
21: Hey, I'm glad to, I'm glad to be part of 100. You know, give uh, give Shiner a hug for me and a happy new year, brother.
1: I sure will. Thank you. Yeah. Howdy, and thanks for calling into the Cyber Ranch. Who am I talking to?
22: Hey, Alan, it's Kirsten Davies. How are you?
1: Kirsten, I am so glad you called in. I've wanted your voice on this show since I don't even know how far back.
22: It's great to be here. Thanks for letting me call in. Um, For those of you, of your listeners who don't know me, um, I am the uh, lead cyber for Unilever. Um, I'm the CISO there and uh, have held other CISO and deputy CISO positions, CFO positions. So I was in Africa for Barclays Africa Group. I was at SA Lauder Companies. I was a deputy at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, a deputy CISO at Siemens as well.
1: For my listeners, Kirsten is one of the people I call for advice, just so you guys know.
22: (laughs) is it good advice, though?
1: (laughs) I take what I can get for free, right?
4: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, Kirsten always
1: gives me good advice. It's always worth a phone call with you. So I've got a question for you. This will be the last question for the show, so I want to kind of lead into 2023. Uh, I'm thinking not in terms of like trends for 2023 that gets done to death, but like specifically threat intelligence in 2023. Mm-hmm. What what do we think the change is going to be? What do we see coming? What what is the threat intel landscape of 2023 going to look like?
22: That's a great question. Um, you know, I think if any of us as CISOs had a crystal ball, we would be uh, we'd be doing a lot better <laughs> than than we are. I think. You know, what, what strikes me as super interesting is um, just from conversations I've had with other CISOs, um, including yourself mm-hmm. and other people, is we've we've seen nothing, relatively nothing net new out of Russia.
4: Mm-hmm. And that makes me a
22: little bit nervous, right? So we, we had the advent of ransomware was that 2020, 2021. You know, we've, we've had some challenges with, with a lot of that. And I think it's going to get super interesting as the uh, conflict there um, hopefully hopefully comes to a close soon, we hope mm-hmm. it does,
4: mm-hmm.
22: um, and to a peaceful one as well, um, I think we're going to start seeing some net new things come out um, from a nation-state uh, advanced perspective. Um, I think what's also super interesting to keep an eye on is not the ransomware aspect, but just destructive malware yeah just data being completely erased and we've seen it before of course of course we're starting to see more of that um, and I think that that's that's next on the horizon so from mm-hmm. a from a threat and tell perspective um, we're gonna be seeing I think more of the same yeah which we always see because we still have to be great at everything we have to be brilliant at all the basics while we're still seeing the you know, script kitty attacks as much as we see the nation state stuff. But I think yeah. what's new, what's what's gonna be interesting and new is the stuff that we haven't seen coming out from some of the nation states that are infamous for, right? Some pretty pretty hairy attacks.
4: Yeah. I think that's yeah. gonna
22: be interesting. What do you yeah. think? What do you think about yeah, that? yeah, no, I'm
1: I'm with you on that one. And I think, you know, I'm thinking of Lazarus group and some of these others and and I'm I'm gonna and, argue that the vast majority of nation state activity is for profit, just like the organized crime, ransomware type things are for profit. But to your point, there's this destruction component. And that might be hacktivism, but that could also be APTs. That could also be nation states, right? Like easily, that could be a nation state doing that kind of thing. Um, You look at um, Stuxnet, for example. Stuxnet wasn't stealing data. Stuxnet was shutting things down. And weaponizing destruction is certainly easily done in cyber, certainly drivable from a nation state perspective. And you can certainly see where there's plenty of both opportunity and motive, right?
22: Yeah, I think we're going to see a um, a massive shift in the industry where our focus becomes more on resilience
4: mm-hmm.
22: and recovery. Then on protect everything, everywhere, at all times. I mean, yep. we've obviously been moving away from that for quite some time. Yeah. But I think that the industry and, and business and, and all of that is going to start catching up to that because yep. we, can't, we can't keep doing things the way that we, we've been doing them and expect to be resilient right. against um, the new hairy stuff, right? Yeah. And especially, especially that destruction. Um, you know, operational stability, paramount, paramount. And that comes from everything—from the assets to, you know, SaaS systems to to our cloud storage to the data everywhere. To also for those of us in manufacturing or critical industries, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the actual just the operational resiliency of of the everything.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's interesting how identify protect fades to the secondary as you mature your efforts. Right? Like like in other words, when you walk into a brand new shop as the first time CISO, they've never had one before, Identify Protect is going to eat you alive. That's what you're going to be so focused on. And once you build some maturity <laughs> to your program, the Detect, Respond, Recover actually comes to the forefront, right? Like this This is a talk I gave at RSA last year Is is over time, you actually want to focus on the resiliency. Uh, recoverability, detection, and response. Like, never assume you can 100% protect against the bad thing, right? Like, you're never going to. What you need to be able to do is recover quickly when the bad thing hits. It's so much more important to me.
22: Yeah. That's right. And I would actually argue that identify and protect, serve, detect, respond, recover. Oh, there you go. They only exist in order to serve that.
1: There you go. There you go. I like that. Well, listen, Kirsten Davies, thank you so much for calling in. Howdy, thanks for calling into the Cyber Ranch. Who am I talking to?
22: This is your wife.
1: Oh, hey, sweetie.
22: How are you?
1: I'm doing good. We're recording our 100th episode over here.
22: I know. I called in to tell you how proud I am of you for getting to your 100th episode. It's quite an accomplishment, and I just wanted to tell you that I think you're an amazing human, and I hope that your show continues to keep growing.
1: You are too sweet to me. Thank you so much. Love you bunches. Bye bye. Love you too. Bye bye. Well, folks, that wraps up our 100th episode of the Cyber Ranch podcast. Totally appreciate you folks listening in. And uh, thank you to every one of on my callers. Y'all be good now.